Ari Rosen, I'm here with another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. Uh, this week's topic, we're going to talk about simple concepts that 4K plan sponsors really may not be aware of. Of course, uh, first things first, we'll talk about the events that are coming up. We've got two events on tap. One drops, the episode drop. actually, we have really one, we have one event lined up, well, two events actually, I'm sorry. Um... This episode drops uh, after the Houston event, um, so I'm not going to pretend that the Houston event happened. It didn't as soon as this episode drops, but we have, of course, the live event in Las Vegas, the New York, New York Hotel and Casino. That's going to be on Friday, January 21st, uh, 2022. Um, going to be a lot of fun. I think a bunch of the attendees will go to the Golden Knights game the night before, so um, if you're going to be in Las Vegas for the event, let me know, and we'll see what we can do with the Golden Knights. Um, as far as um, that event, go to that 4 for further information. Working with Larry uh, as to scheduling uh, a guest. He threw out two names. One is my that I'm really hoping for. Um, he is a Hall of Famer. Um, and the second one is actually another Hall of Famer for another sport. So I think it's a win-win in either case. But I'm really hoping for one. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, as people may not be aware of with the guests, uh, Larry and I always work and names are thrown around. Um, and that's based on Larry's relationships with, uh, a- another person in the industry and they know a lot of local people. Usually we bring in somebody who's local to the area so we don't have to, uh, pay for them for travel. Uh, so that makes things easier. Um, but, uh, at 4 kcitecom for further information on the Las Vegas event, as well as the National Virtual Conference the following week, the 28th, 29th. Great opportunity if you're a plan provider to present. Two days of fun. Two days of fun-filled entertainment. Um, should be interesting. It's always, it's always a lot of fun. Uh, we really had fun last year, uh, virtual setting. My kids enjoyed it because they were doing virtual school and they got Uber Eats while I was uh, running the event. Um, we'll see how it goes for that. It's just $20.22 to join up. Uh, go to that 4onkeysite.com for further information. Uh, last week we had the Minneapolis event. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, attendance was, you know, unfortunately COVID. Uh, we're not having that problem in Houston, I'll tell you that much. Uh, in terms of attendance, uh, you know, different regions have different, uh, you know, expectations and whatnot with COVID. But we had Tony Oliva as the guest. Uh, Tony's a great guy. I met him before in August. Uh, very funny guy. I really hope that he finally makes the Hall of Fame. He was, I think, one vote short last time they uh, did that. And I think that this election coming up in December is for his era. I think it's him and Richie Allen are probably going to go in. Uh, those are two big snubs in my mind. Um, of course, you know, being from Brooklyn, uh, still want to make sure Gil Hodges finally gets in. Um, you know, the funny thing about the Baseball Hall of Fame and why I tend to enjoy baseball, not one of the reasons I, I enjoy baseball a lot more uh, than other sports and why the events tend to be focused on MLB. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, the Baseball Hall of Fame, you have arguments and you don't have the same arguments in basketball. Uh, you don't have the same arguments in football. Um, in 
basketball, if you look at some of the people that are in the Hall of Fame, sometimes you wonder yourself, really? I mean, I think Ralph Sampson's in the base- Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, and you just remember Ralph Sampson's career. I'm like, really? And there's some other people uh, that you're just really shocked that are in the Basketball Hall of Fame. I think, you know, Jerry Lucas was a great player. I, I just, I'm just surprised sometimes who's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Football Hall of Fame... You know, it's a very secretive process. Uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, I find to be more transparent since the writers are doing it. And then, of course, if it's a veterans committee, it'll be players and whatnot. That's the beauty of baseball. Nobody has the arguments about the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, uh, on Facebook, whatever, you you could have these arguments. and, And the beauty of it, nobody's wrong, nobody's right. You know, people, you know, cry all the time that Harold Beans is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Bill Mazeroski is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't think that, uh, in my opinion, um, you know, these guys, and Ted Simmons, I don't think these guys are as good as Tony Oliva. Um, I don't think these guys are as good as Richie Allen, Gil Hodges. Uh, uh, Steve Garvey's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, and then, of course, then after the Garvey, you think of, well, Keith Hernandez is not in the Hall of Fame. So it's really interesting, but I'm digressing. Uh, so we had a great time in Minneapolis. We're doing the Las Vegas event, and then, you know, we are mothballing the events for fall. That was the decision uh, that I made. I, I scheduled these three events in September, which, you know, it's very hard to do, but, you know, I really wanted to reschedule those. These were, you know, these were events playing 2020. You had sponsorship money. I paid money out to these athletes to attend. Just wanted to be done with it. And then see what the future is, uh, because quite honestly, you know these events are a labor of love. They take a lot of work, um, and you don't want to burn out sponsors with low attendance. And um, you know we don't know what's going on with COVID. You know when I scheduled these be- events back in September, uh, no, I'm sorry, for these events in September, and I I, I booked them in March. Um, you know you thought it was coming to the end of the pandemic, and, and here we are, still still here. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, probably after Las Vegas, we'll do an event in April, May, June, uh, and maybe September, uh, and we'll see for the fall. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, there are a lot of fall places that have no major league stadiums that I would like to have an event, uh, and we'll see how it goes. I think Charlotte, to me, is a, is a hotbed of activity in the retirement plan space. If you know anything about TPAs and advisory practices, that's a great place to be. Uh, I would like to do Charlotte at the Carolina Panthers Stadium. The dream uh, NFL stadium, uh, but I believe that they're still renovating it and we wouldn't have an event, is New Orleans. Uh, I've never been to New Orleans. I think that would be a great opportunity, and we'll see what happens. But in terms of baseball stadiums, you know, I think it's still up in the air. Looked at pricing. So when you look at pricing, it's funny. Um, they're all over the place. Um, so... Uh, some places are very inexpensive. Minnesota was very inexpensive. Uh, Milwaukee is very inexpensive, so I think we're going to do probably Milwaukee. Miami seems reasonable, uh, except nobody cares about the Marlins. Just like Damone said, nobody cared about Aerosmith and Fast Times Richmond High. Um, Seattle seems to be very reasonable. Uh, Seattle seems to be an interesting town. Uh, unfortunately, San Francisco, not in the cards right now. Um uh, AT&T Park was expensive. The 49er Stadium is expensive. And unfortunately, San Diego. Um, 
that's a, another town I, I would have liked to uh, have an event, and right now it's it's not happening. Um, just got to be cautious. Not too much in the Midwest, so we'll certainly do Milwaukee. I don't know if we'll do Cincinnati, uh, but you know we're going to have to you know certainly uh, have an event down south, probably Miami, uh, and and like I said, Charlotte for the fall would be ideal. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I've wasted enough time. Let's get to the topic and hand. Uh, plant sponsors are certainly not aware of a lot of simple concepts. Number one, they on their hook for liability. Um, as a 401k plant sponsor, they really need to hire plant providers to handle plan administration, the fiduciary process, and the legal components of the plan. Um, Obviously, an order will have to be hired if a 5500 is required. An order is required for the 5500. So, while a plant sponsor hires these professional plant providers, they are still ultimately on the hook for liability. Uh, I've seen too many plant sponsors learn the hard way that when the TPA screws up, or the financial advisor screws up, or even the attorney, ERISA attorney screws up, they're going to foot the bill. And, and people want to say, oh, you know, you, you don't say much about how ERISA attorneys screw up. You only mention how TPAs screw up. Well, TPAs do most of the work. Uh, and that's, um, that'll be for the next portion of this show. But the ERISA attorneys screw up. I mean, I remember uh, I worked at a TPA uh, called Geller Group. Um, I was hired as a lower-level attorney. I was making, going to be making 80 grand a year. About 19 years ago, and the head attorney was not working for the firm. He had some sort of opera, uh, situation where he got 30% of the billing, and had 30% of the billing in those days during restatement process was a lot of money. You know, double, triple digits, kind of money I would have would have dreamed even today to make. Um, he wasn't very good. He made a lot of mistakes. Um, I remember him goofing off on a control group situation where he just completely screwed up where he didn't see something that I did. And more importantly, he was drafting. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm shocked. This is 2002, and if you remember, Safe Harbor Plan Design came up in 1999. So he would draft um, Safe Harbor plans with a 1,000-hour and or last-day requirement. Uh, pal, uh, and I'm sure uh, Mike Webb would laugh, but yeah, pal, uh, you're not supposed to condition safe harbor contributions, 1,000 hours and or last day. You can't condition on hours. Um, that's one of the tenets of uh, safe harbor plane design going back to its infancy in 1999. So uh, he goofed on that. So, you know, when it comes to hiring plan sponsors, um, you know, plan, I'm sorry, when it comes to hiring plan providers like a 316 or even a 338, still there is some sort of liability left. Uh, 316 assumes all the day-to-day uh, -day liability plan administration, but you know, when you hire somebody like Jeff Ritchie, who was a 316 administrator slash TPA who's sitting in federal prison, having stolen I think 15 million dollars from his clients, plan sponsors are still on the hook for negligent hiring. Um, while a plan sponsor certainly can minimize their fiduciary liability through good practices, hiring good plan providers, and even delegating to certain risk fiduciaries. Plan sponsor can never fully eliminate their liability as a plan fiduciary. Next, 
with all due respect to everybody else, obviously the most important provider is the TPA. You know, one thing you have to know about me, I don't have this big ego. Sure, I'd like to speak at more national events. Uh, I think I'm a better speaker than the same ERISA attorney that they've been trotting out of late. And I'm not talking about Fred Reich because Fred is, you know, Fred is to me that top-level guy, and I think we're all below him. Um, so uh, I'm just saying that, you know, I, I don't have that ego to think that I'm the straw of the, you know, the straw that stirs a drink. Um, it's my Reggie Jackson reference for the day. You know, I'm an arrest attorney. I think I do a pretty good job for my clients, but, you know, I think that there is one more, there's certainly one plan provider who's higher above all in terms of responsibility, in terms of work, and in terms of need, and that's the TPA. It's the most important choice because they do most of the work. Um, and they're the key to whether a plan is successful or not. Good TPA will certainly keep a plan sponsor out of trouble more so than one that's not. Um, you know, when a, remember, TPA doing all the compliance testing, allocations, trades, plan document issues, design work, and you need know, to file a 5500. Um, with so many intricate duties, mistakes can happen, and a good TPA will obviously make fewer mistakes than a bad TPA. And, um, you know, obviously most issues deal with the compliance part of the plan that a TPA handles. That's why it's extremely important to hire a good TPA. Um, next, ERISA bonds and fiduciary liability insurance. Those are two different concepts that a lot of plan sponsors don't really understand. Every plan that is subject to ERISA, and that's plans with employees, essentially, um, an ERISA bonds required. An ERISA bonds does not protect plan fiduciaries when they get sued. An ERISA bond is there to protect plan assets. Um, it's a minimum requirement. ERISA bonds are legally required. Fiduciary liability insurance, which protects fiduciaries from uh, litigation, is not. Um, but I do recommend that you know if a plan sponsor has employees that they have both the ERISA bond, which they need to. And fiduciary liability insurance, which is optional. I recommend both. They're inexpensive. The ERISA bond, uh, you know, it's a legal requirement, and I assure you that if you answer that you don't have an ERISA bond on your 5500, you may be subject to a plan audit. And who the heck wants that? Um, of course, you know, simple concept. Uh, plan sponsors are liable even if the participants directed investments. Uh, ERISA 4C is certainly one of the biggest misnomers out there. Um, over the last 20 some odd years, there was a move from um, trustee directed for 1K plans to participant directed, you know, as the technology improved. And one of the big selling points was, you know, hey, plan sponsors, you can eliminate your liability if uh, participants directed in investments. And the problem is the word may. May and shall are two different words. May is maybe. Um, if you don't protect, uh, if you don't provide enough education to plan participants, if you don't review funds in a um, on a, in a reasonable time period, if you neglect, like my HR director at my old law firm, sorry, Pat, I, it's part of the shtick. Um, if you don't review funds over a 10-year period, you don't give investment education plan participants. Whatever losses they get, they can sue you. Um, you know, uh, ERISA 404C, like I always say, is not a suicide pact. 
meaning it's not an all or nothing approach. It's a sliding scale. The more information a participant is provided, the less liability a plan sponsor can have. Um, so, you know, it's all about putting a prudent process in place and following it. Um, and uh, that means a plan sponsor has got to sit down with their advisor frequently to review investments to whether they should be retained or replaced by, based on the investment policy statement. Um, you know, the IPS investment education isn't legally required, but uh, from a moral standpoint, but more importantly, for, from, a, from a legal standpoint, uh, they should be done. Uh, you know, having an IPS and, and uh, providing investment education is like, you know, flossing. I mean, I don't floss. The reason I don't floss is I have such a crowded mouth. I can't, you know, if I put a piece of a film or floss, or whatever, between my teeth, uh, it's going to get stuck. But the idea is, is that, you know, uh, brushing and flossing is a great way to avoid a uh, teeth problem in the future and avoid a, you know, root canal and all that kind of stuff, which I don't know anything about, thankfully. Um, you know, these, these are things that can certainly go a long way uh, for a plan sponsor to uh, get some liability protection. Next on my hit list is too many investment choices is a bad idea. Uh, you know, in this country, we are a country of plenty. Um, you remember the supersized meals at McDonald's, uh, which I think they've curbed down. I think, it's like a, I think they used to give larger portions. But, you know, when it comes to a restaurant, go to Cheesecake Factory, and it's like this giant plate of food. You feel like an elephant. And we, in this country, we think more is more. I, I know attorneys act as if more is more. The more they talk and the more they write, the better their fee is, I guess. Or, you know, um, it's, you know it, it, it's weird. Um, again, you know, choice is a very good thing. Um, you know, in this country, you know, I, I always say I grew up as a kid, there was one Cheerios, and then we had Honey Nut Cheerios, and for a long time, that was it. Now, I think if you go to the grocery store, I don't know how many Cheerios you have now. It seems like two dozen, but, you know, we, again, we think more is more. We think choice is a great thing, so uh, plan sponsors probably assume that if there are more choices on investment lineup, it's better for the plan. Quite honestly, it's not. Uh, I think it's the worst idea. I think once you get past, you know, 18 funds, and I think that would, in my mind, include like six target eight funds. Uh, if you don't have target eight funds, to me, 12 is, is more than enough. The reason why I think it's a terrible idea is because studies have shown that too many choices on investment lineup are going to depress the participation rate of plant participants, the referral rate. And, and the reason is uh, participants are overwhelmed. Uh, when you overwhelm people, you know, it's a funny situation. You know, I came back from Minneapolis on Saturday, and then you got to fly to Houston on Tuesday night. You got 50 million things, and you got three retainer letters to send out to clients. And, uh, you know, you, you realize, you know, you have so much work. And even when you have so much work, sometimes you feel paralyzed because you don't know what you're going to do next. It's the same thing with uh, one of the most... I wouldn't say frightening things because I, I, people would laugh at it, but you know, I got Netflix, I got 
you know, Hulu, I got like shows to watch on demand or whatever it is. And you have so many choices and you're paralyzed because you don't know what to watch. And so you watch nothing. Uh, but um, that's how it is with a 401k lineup. A 401k lineup really shouldn't be like the buffet at, at Golden Corral or what's uh, more near dear to my heart because I've never been to the Golden Corral is the Ponderosa Steakhouse, which uh, unfortunately they don't have that many anymore. I was at one about four years ago in Kissimmee, Florida. I was in State College, Pennsylvania uh, this past summer uh, on my way to Chicago driving, and the Ponderosa isn't there anymore, which was upsetting. Um, too many choices, again, uh, overwhelmed participants, so that's why, you know, there's no re need for a plan to have five large-cap funds. Um, you, know, uh, you know, it looks like a great idea on paper, but it's awful. So I think lineups need to be lean, you know, have two large cap funds, you know, a growth and a, you know, growth and a, and a value or have, you know, the S&P 500 and then, you know, a value or whatever it is. You don't need five large cap funds. Two or three is sufficient. Last but not least, uh, fees have to be reasonable. Uh, you know, Planned participants, you know, they were trained about fee disclosure and the need uh, to check their fees. They need to get off the idea that fees have to be the cheapest available. No, they don't, bud. They need to be reasonable, reasonable for the services provided. So that means if they plan sponsors want to hire a really top-notch TPA that charges more money, they can't. They don't have to go to the cheapest provider. Going to the cheapest provider, just going on cost is the worst idea not the worst idea, but one really bad idea. The fiduciary duty is all about the plan sponsor, the plan fiduciaries, to pay reasonable plan expenses. Not the cheapest, reasonable. What's reasonable? I can't tell you. It's like, uh, you know, Potter Stewart with obscenity. He doesn't know it, but he knows it when he sees it. So reasonable is based on what other providers charge for the same service. So if you want to hire... You know, uh, Newport Group and pay a couple extra bucks, but they throw in a lot of bells and whistles. That's fine. So that means that's different than, you know, the no frills 401k TPA that charges bargain basement fees but doesn't provide you the level of service of a Newport Group or a Pintegra or a, an Ascensus, Future Plan, whatever it is. And if I didn't use your name, it's no harm. I really shouldn't have been using any names, but I did. Um, and that's just using an example. So I think that plan sponsors, plan fiduciaries need to understand it's all about reasonableness. It's, you know, like Adam Cole would say, it's all about the boom. It's all about reasonableness. And uh, a plan sponsor needs to understand that uh, going for the lowest provider, lowest charging provider, just because of they're the lowest charging provider is an absolute mistake. I hope you enjoyed this episode of that 4K podcast, uh, and I hope you join me next week for another episode. And, of course, go to that 4 site.com, Vegas Baby, in January. We're looking forward to that. Uh, I'm looking forward to a couple months of peace and, and work and, and whatnot and getting back to normal and, of course, trying to get uh, sponsors for these events and uh, certainly probably book, uh, you know, Milwaukee and Seattle and, and whatnot and see what happens. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode of that 401k podcast, and uh, I hope to hear from you guys. Well, I'm not going to hear from you guys, but I hope you tune in next week. Thanks.